very early on, it said that we should never expect for you to be a doctor <laughs> because you would make a terrible doctor, but that you were going to be rich uh, and wealthy. And then your brother, his fortune was that he was going to be Dean, that he was going to be powerful so that you were going to be rich and he was going to be powerful and that you would always be good brothers, uh, have a great relationship. You would be close as brothers. Welcome to Tea with my Uncle Iros. Lazy Susan style conversations with mentors and musicians that have inspired me over the years. I'm your host, Son of Paper. Uncle Iroh is a character in Avatar who my generation has deemed the most wise and patient mentor ever. And so this season, I sat down with my uncles and aunties to pick their brains on how to best navigate this planet with wisdom, grace, and compassion. And what better beverage for conversation than tea? Welcome to the today's podcast. Gong Hei Fa Choi. Happy New Year, everyone. Today with me, of course, Kimchi Mama. Everyone should know at this point. And if you don't, it's my mom. Go ahead, introduce yourself however you like. And please tell us more of the story of Kimchi Mama and the formation of that. Uh, let's see. So I am Sabrina G. Shen, uh, Kyle's mom. And... In addition to being a realtor, I, uh, I think back in the day, I was one of the uh, embraced uh, Instagram and I had to come up with a Instagram name and didn't really want to use my first name. So I took on this persona of Kimchi Mama. Uh, and back then I was just posting uh, photos of scenery around San Francisco. And then ultimately it became uh, part of my cooking persona. And so I'm Chinese American. Kyle is half, half. He's uh half Chinese and half Korean American. So I, uh, I, I'm a mom of a Korean kid. So therefore kimchi mama. Great. Okay. <laughs> uh, tell us more where you were born and raised. Of course, I know most people know in the audience, but there are some people that might be discovering this pod for the first time. So uh, where are you from and what, what, what communities really raised you to become who you are and have the values that you instilled in me and Dean? Mm. So I am born and raised in San Francisco, uh, as was my father, as one of my grandfathers. So that makes me, that makes me third, third generation, second, third generation Chinese American. And I have always loved San Francisco. And I, when I met uh, Kyle's father, who lives, is from New York, uh, before we even would start dating, I said, uh, you plan on moving to San Francisco, right? So I really want to raise an urban child. Your question was, what was the other question about? Oh, the communities that raised me. So I have two parents who divorced when I was really little, like I was about maybe four or five years old. And so my mom had to go back into the workforce. And so one of the communities that really, she worked in Chinatown in the mental health community, very close by was Cameron House. So the day camps, the best day of the week, the summers, the Friday night club program. I was uh, very much, I'm very grateful for the people at Cameron House and the amazing leaders and nurturers, um, both women, but particularly women. There's something really powerful about this really kick-ass, strong, powerful female role models that I am forever grateful for. And so that's one community, but there's also, I had come, I'm a public school uh, product. I went to this hippie school in the 70s called San Francisco Community. And I'm very grateful for that community too. That showed me that um, it was intentionally diverse. So I, my best friend was African-American. Um, my, my mom got to volunteer at that school and 
be a, a Chinese American role model to those kids. It was uh, people were of all different careers. And so I think fundamentally that really diverse public school experience has ever forever shaped the way I see the world. And that when I'm in non-diverse spaces, um, something doesn't feel right. So I feel very grateful to that community. So both the San Francisco public school community, as well as the Chinatown community. Mm. Yeah, you bet. You hit all the points I wanted you to. Um, mm. Can you give a shout out to a couple of those mentors? Mary Pack. Okay, so Mary doesn't, you've never met her, but Mary Pack lives in Hawaii. She uh, was a, a, a Korean American from Chicago, um, Presbyterian. I don't know. I don't think she was a minister particularly, but there was, uh, she had an influence on me. Elaine Chan, uh, Lorene Seed. Um, those were huge people for me of just people who um, role model. And it's very easy when you're young uh, to go off a path, to, to spin out of control because of something and to have someone sort of scoot you back. Um, and because, you know, all it takes is one mistake uh, to really pull you off track. And, and it's really nice to have people listen challenge you to show you another path. Uh, and so I, I'm very grateful to them, but also it was, so those are the women, the men were like people like Carl Jew, Brad Wu, uh, John, he, there's lots of, um, lots of wonderful role models that I had in my life. Going back to that hippie San Francisco community school, Phil Abrams, our school was located in Twin Peaks, but it moved to Golden Gate Avenue, which is in the Western edition. Um, and so I said to my teacher, I said, uh, this neighborhood's kind of dangerous. And he said, why do you, why do you say that? Uh, what do you have to prove? How, how can you prove that? And I said, well, the lady at the corner store just got shot. <laughs> Doesn't that make it unsafe? And he said, well, and he gave me a special project. Um, and we were studying maps at that time. I think I was maybe third grade. And he said, I want you to read the paper for the next, I don't know, three weeks and I want you, every time a crime is written about, I want you to plot it on a map and see if you see a pattern. And I plotted out and there wasn't a pattern that crime was particularly happening in Western edition. And so it made me, maybe I was making an assumption or a stereotype about this community. And so that's what I struggled with, or I, I told him, and he said, well, it's interesting that you made that deduction, but what you may not know is that crime isn't, doesn't always make it to the newspaper, particularly in, in minority communities. And so that lesson stuck with me of you can say something, but can you prove it? Uh, so I find data very important. Hmm. So just an example as a, a, someone, yeah. a mentor. Today. Yeah. So I, I've met um, Philip Abrams and he came to a gyoza class. And yes. I, I think the gyoza class is sort of, your version of what I'm trying to do with this podcast in a way, right? It's not quite the same, but you're teaching and you're giving your skills and I'm trying to do a similar thing to highlight my mentors or people that have had a big impact on me so that hopefully what we're doing has reverberations out to the rest of the world and they can feel a little bit of the care as well. Tell me about how you started the, the gyoza, make gyoza not war. <laughs> the classes I have always you know, loved cooking but I wasn't always a teacher per se. Um, and then my main student was you <laughs> because you were going off to college. I was really concerned. You have a lot of allergies and it's been something I've been a sort of a, what do you call helicopter mom about 
for you for your entire life. Um, you have a lot of allergies that, and it's, they're very dangerous actually, if, if you ingest milk or peanuts or something like that. So I'm very protective of you. And so I said, uh, you can only apply to colleges that have kitchens in the dorm. And so we spent a lot of time the summer before you left for your freshman year uh, training you. And so one of the things I taught you was how to make gyoza, which is basically like a one ton, but it's fried differently. So it's a blend. That particular recipe is a blend of um, Grandma Bessie, your great grandmother's, the inside, the meat. But the way it's cooked is from um, my dear friend, Mie Katsumada. So her family owns Chaya, which is a vegan Japanese restaurant on Valencia Street. She had a picture of this gorgeous um, platter of dumplings, gyoza, that were pan fried. And they all sort of like are um, laced together and all sort of stuck together. Like look like an upside down pineapple cake kind of thing, but it was just beautiful presentation. So um, I asked her what her secret was and she shared it with me. Uh, and so I then wanted to share it with you. So we cooked that. And I think it was um, Dylan was over and you guys were filming it. And uh, it, it's a very wow presentation. Final step. Yeah. The final step is pretty, it's pretty sexy. It's, it's a very, it's, it's like a party trick. Dylan, I think Dylan was posted or you posted on Instagram and it got a lot of play. A lot of people were asking how and really interested and really impressed. Um, and people would, uh, and people started asking, teach me, teach me. And I always think people are, I, I don't, I don't, I didn't take that very seriously, but I had this one Saturday that was free and it was like a Tuesday. So I post on Tuesday, does anyone want to learn how to make gyoza? And within less than five hours, I had 20 people saying, sign me up. I'm in. So I panicked a little because I don't, I don't know if I can fit 20 people in my house, in my, in our dining room, our living room, our kitchen. And so I actually had to strategically break a morning class and an afternoon class. It was amazing. And I, the context is Tre President Trump got elected as president. And um, there was something about his election, about the minute he got elected, that um, I saw a human dynamic happening. So this is the context of the permit patties, the, the people who were, um, it was a pattern, white women in particular were accusing or feeling very entitled to uh, call out behavior that they feel was illegal. But there was something about it going on in the world that was very disturbing that made me not trust my fellow human beings. Um, and so I knew there was a different reality and that I could create that reality. And so that's the why behind all my cooking classes that I, I do it because I want to build human connection, human community. And um, I think food is a very powerful way of doing that. And so when that first 20 people entered my home, none of them knew each other. The only connection they had is me. It was my best friend from when I was four years old came, um, former teachers, former clients, people from camera, but different walks of life in the same living room, cooking together and side by side, chopping green onions and mixing meat and giggling and laughing, learning new ingredients. And um, there was something very powerful that happened. Um, and so I've probably had over 300 individuals through my home. And the very first class, people were saying, well, 
you know, Sabrina, how much do I owe you? Because I, I paid for all the ingredients um, they, and they kept on pushing me. And so I said, well, how about a 10 buck, 20 buck donation to Cameron House that I, you know, I'll collect. I have a little basket. You can put your 20 bucks there. And I was able to, I've been able to raise a few couple thousand dollars uh, for a nonprofit in Chinatown, which I feel indebted to. And so um, that's what I do. I leverage the community to help other communities. Yeah. So seeing you do that probably made me subconsciously also very aware of um, my position as a musician, as a mini influencer and person of the community and being able to use that influence and and power and um, ability to create compassion and community to then fundraise and lots of the, the um, COVID fundraisers, Chinatown fundraisers that I've been able to do in the last couple of years. Yeah. So obviously we can't do our gyoza classes in the same way that we once were able to due to COVID. Um, so how have you pivoted since then? And um, what cool things have been created uh, in the last year? But you and I together, you were home for college. And so we held a 10 week series of cooking classes every Saturday morning for like the, for 10, I don't can't believe we did it for 10 weeks. I forgot. And it was, <laughs> so we basically taught some of the, um, gyoza is kind of hard because it's, it's, it's multifaceted and stuff like that. But I would teach our crispy garlic tofu class. or we did a bindaduk Korean savory pancake dish. We did stuffed tofus and we just went through a series of, um, and it was, that was actually my favorite time of COVID because everything was shut down. Real estate was shut down. There, you know, you couldn't stage, you can, you can paint, you can have appraisers. Like it was, there was actually, that was my favorite time because um, the industry was shut down and I got to do the things that I really love that really nurtured me. And so cooking was a part of that and you were home. And so uh, we would do mi- musical interludes. Like remember we'd cook and prep and then I would like uh, hair cut, take it away. So yeah. Facebook live, we were doing Facebook live. The one new community I've been a part of is something called the buy nothing groups. And so uh, we've been a part of the buy nothing Richmond district group. Um, and so I, those people offer like, oh, I have, uh, I don't know, an old tent, you know, camping tent. Does anybody want it? Or um, so, but one of the things, in addition to things, you can also give experiences. And so I offered a Bindanduk Korean, what we call as a Korean laka cooking class. And we did that through Zoom. Um, and that was a super amazing thing. Cause, you know, here I was building community broadly, before, but to have it in a very hyper-local way, I think it was even more magical to do it with complete strangers um, and to build a, you know, I love the idea of building a more resilient local community. Yeah. I mean, uh, the amazing thing to be, to me about Buy Nothing is that, well, it's not just SF, it's across the country, I think it seems. It's and global. It's global. And yeah. so anyone out there listening to this, you should check that out on Facebook because you can basically get free stuff and give stuff that you don't need anymore. And it's like, you know, like in a world where everyone's buying things on Amazon that we don't really need, this is a way to keep the, um, be act a little bit more environmentally friendly and mm-hmm. also Absolutely. your neighbors in a cool way. Maybe say a little bit about your job as a realtor and how you, and uh, tell us how you, that came into be and also what's next after real estate, if you retire. <laughs> mm. Oh my God, I can't wait to retire. 
that's the first thing to say. Uh, so I, my background, um, I thought I was going to go into public policy and politics because I love the idea of doing things that benefit the common good. Um, so I love the idea of public schools and public transportation and programs that healthcare for, you know, healthcare that benefits everyone. But <laughs> I don't have the right temperament for public policy because uh, to me, it's not just about having a good idea. It's- you, you have to kiss a little bit of butt to get to where you want with your policy. You said that I didn't say it. <laughs> <It's>, <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I, yeah. And I just, I ultimately felt the most good thing I could do for the, the world was to have children of my own and raise them. And because uh, I felt that that would be, could be my contribution to society. Uh, so don't disappoint me. Kyle. <laughs> uh, so I'm just doing the best I can as a mom. That was, I did that for many years. And then my own mother, uh, your grandmother, Carolyn, um, who was a longtime realtor for over 25, 30 years, uh, for many, many years, she got into an accident. So she was on a cruise ship with great grandma, Taipaw, to Alaska, and she fell down a spiral staircase um, on a cruise ship. And they had to airlift her off. She was like in a bit of a coma. And she woke up from the coma. She didn't look so good. Her face was like twisted to the side and she was very bruised up. And your dad said to me, um, Sabrina, we have a choice to make. We either shut your mom's business down while she recuperates or you get your license and help her. And back then, uh, Dean was like maybe two years old and you were like five. And I loved being a full-time mom. I was like the ultimate preschool super mom. I felt a little forced into getting into the real estate business. And I kind of had this um, negative image about realtors that they're slimy and about sticky, yucky people. And your grandmother showed me that you could be a person of integrity. You could be um, helping, you know, oftentimes real estate is not helping a young, cute couple be home buyers. Oftentimes it could be divorce. It might be selling one's parents' home, that uh, a childhood home because they've, the parents have passed away. Could be family arguing, people under a lot of stress. And so um, I feel I am, I feel privileged to be able to help families and individuals move from one place, you know, point A to point B and try to make that as stress-free as possible. So I'm very protective of my clients and want them to understand tax consequences or understand repercussions about how they take title. And uh, these are big decisions. And so I love to, just like empowering people in the kitchen with cooking, I love to empower my buyers and sellers to make really smart decisions that align with their values. Um, I do different. I do real estate differently. Um, it's a huge upfront process of a lot of listening. Um, and I, yeah, so I, I love what I do and I love, I have a team, um, uh, we're a three person team that I run um, and we, we just try to do good. Yeah, So definitely. Shout out to the Embrace SF team. Shout out to uh, Auntie Kelly um, and oh, always so supportive of my music. And um, shout out to Charles. Thank you, Charles. <laughs> That's beautiful to watch. <laughs> it feels like they're part of the family too. And that the, the work that you do, it just, it, you're part therapist in a way too. <laughs> a lot of, you're, you're, listen, you're truly listening to your clients 
And um, to any realtors out there listening to this podcast, just know that I created Embrace SF as a title. So if you need help with your name branding, <laughs> let's, let's talk about um, the, the backgrounds that we have today. Yes. This is, this is new for the podcast. <laughs> so how, how did this come to be? How did our newsletter um, become so fancy and illustrated? And yeah, give a shout out to Adrian. Yes. Uh, so we have been doing for years, we no longer do a Christmas card because our Christmas card would just get lost in the shuffle of other Christmas cards. So many years ago, I'd probably say maybe at least eight years, we've been doing a Chinese New Year card. And every year we've always had someone different illustrated or it's usually a, and it's usually very San Francisco themed. And we, uh, one year we had the year of the snake, you know, a serpent wrapping itself around the Golden Gate Bridge or the monkeys um, climbing up Sutro Tower. Um, and so we get, every year it's a theme. And this year, we almost like didn't do a card. I, I don't know, maybe it was the whole 2020 thing or we did a great Chinese New Year. I and mean, we did a great Chinatown calendar. Thought, ugh, do we really need to do something else? And so we, you and I are both part of something called Asian Hustle Network, which is a really cool Facebook community of Asian entrepreneurs, um, small businesses who are people putting out their story, um, their excitement, their questions about their own small business ideas. And one person was Adrian. Adrian posted that she would um, charge people to do a caricature of themselves and use that money to donate towards Black Lives Matter. And that impressed me. So there was just using her art to, again, leverage it for good. And there was one particular image of this little boy playing like on the, the horns of a, I don't know, a dragon or something like that. And I thought, oh, imagine we are playing with a bull, a year of the ox, you know, a bunch of us playing with the ox. And so then we got a little carried away that we wanted um, each of our personalities to come out. So you doing your deal with an ox, me cooking our favorite gyoza, um, dad playing ice hockey with one and Dean uh, sitting back. So um, it was, she was amazing to work with. She's young and she is fast and she is creative and she's a great listener and she captured all of our essence. Yeah. She, she's also a teacher. Um, she's a teacher, a young yeah. teacher. We, we were really impressed by her and uh, I'm sure she's already gotten several other commissions just from our New Year's card. But um, if you want to check her out, I'll, I'll put the link in the, the description of this podcast. Yeah. So everybody asked me, how does it, how do your parents feel about you being a rapper? Are they supportive? Mm -hmm. Question two is from your perspective, how did I get here? How, how do we mm -hmm. wind up in this position where I, where I am pursuing music, a very unstable, hard career? We, I would be lying to say that I'm not, ner I'm, <laughs> I'm not nervous. Like, I, ho I hope you make it because this is going to be, I just, <laughs> crossing my fingers <laughs> that you, you make it because you, uh, I want you to be successful. I want you to have all that life has to offer. And I, you know, would love for you not to be financially stressed. So, cause I've done my part <laughs> it's up to you. And so, yeah, I would, we are your dad and I, we're secretly ner nervous, probably, but you, we have confidence in you. If you, you know, you will know how far you want to go and how long you're willing to keep at this. And are you willing to do the work? Are you willing to 
So your work ethic and uh, your determination, our job as parents is to give you the foundation, um, to give you, uh, well, all we really cared about was you having the best education possible um, and every opportunity that we could connect you with, but it's, it's up to you to rise to what you want to rise to. And so, and it's because, I don't know if you remember this, when you were small, there was a Korean fortune teller, right? So uh, this is not something of my doing, this is your, of your grandma's, your harmony's doing. So what they do is they don't give names before you're born. You have, you have to be born. They look at, it's like a numerology thing, your time, your date, what the planets are aligned, who your parents are and when they were born. And that shapes what your name is gonna be and sort of shapes your fortune or destiny. And so um, very early on, it said that we should never expect for you to be a doctor <laughs> because you would be a terrible doctor, but that you were gonna be rich uh, and wealthy. And then your brother, his fortune was that he was gonna be Dean, that he was gonna be powerful so that you were gonna be rich and he was gonna be powerful and that you would always be good brothers, uh, have a great relationship. You would be close as brothers. And so I'm just waiting for this Korean fortune to come <laughs> fruition. And that's why you were never pressured to be a doctor. Get off the hook. You know, yeah. since you were two years old, I knew I mean, that was not going to be your... Me and Dean, I think we're on that path, right? I mean, I am in a very lottery type profession where if I make it big, I can knock it out of the park. And Dean is in a profession where, you know, coders can make a lot of money and be powerful people. So, and it said that uh, you were going to be famous, right? It said that you were going to be famous, and he was going to be that was going to take care of us when we were when we get old. So we're not <laughs> counting on your income to take care of us. <laughs> You're off the hook. We know who to invest our other energy around. <laughs> <laughs> Do you have any questions for me? How long? So, can you make music? in San Francisco, like before you, you were, you're focused on moving to LA and you felt that's where you, you had to be to make it. So now the pandemic's here, do you feel any differently? I think it's really hard to tell right now. And I think it's really scary to be in Los Angeles. I think the more and more I'm, I'm in San Francisco, the more and more I find that there's lots of things that everything I need is here including nonprofit work opportunities with Sunset Youth, with Cameron House, stuff where I can uh, rise and make an impact. I don't need to go down to LA for that. It seems as there's like some kind of shift happening that makes everything more virtual. Most of my collaborations have been virtual. So it feels like there's something um, mysterious in the air that's pushing me somewhere else, or maybe to even to stay. So I'm not super drawn to LA. That's my response. Wow. I don't think okay. it's necessary anymore. Do you remember when I tried to memorize 200 digits of pi? Yes. And, <laughs> yeah, and you, you were so arrogant. <laughs> you were so convinced you were going to win and some girl beat you, right? How? <laughs> so from that <laughs> moment until now, I think I've evolved. Lauren Banks told me one day, she was like, you're like the same, but like way less rough around the edges is how she described me. So 
what what has stayed the same in your eyes being my mother and to where I'm at now? So since you were a small child, you have been ultra competitive uh, and it was quite annoying as a child. And I was actually really concerned about it. It was the first out the door, the first in the car, the first, you know, uh, you know, competitive chess and so fierce on the soccer field, like to the point of like, if you didn't win, you ball and cry like it was just but it was so, so competitive to me it was like unhealthy and I saw this at you know we're talking like six seven eight years old or whatever it is and for me this made me concerned and so there were a lot of smart people in this world there are a lot of smart super intelligent people but a lot of them are frankly jerks and they're no fun to work with and they're no fun to collaborate with like I don't think good public policy comes from just smart people or and a-holes to me, good public policy happens because people collaborate, people are listening. And the same at a startup, you know, you can have a, your dad was a part of a startup and uh, there are some people who are just bullheaded and it's their way or the, or the highway and they're no fun to work with. And I would have to listen to all this stuff on their conference calls. And I thought, um, so when I saw you as this really smart boy, super come, I thought, oh my God, please don't become <laughs> Don't let him be this competitive at all costs, win at all costs, asshole. I'll just, I'll just put it out there. And so I was going to beat that part out of you by sending you to the most loving, collaborative school I could find. And I couldn't find it in a public school. So uh, the school that I had you guys go to was a Quaker school, San Francisco Friends School, which was a brand new phenomenon in San Francisco. You were the second entering class. They care about equality and simplicity and integrity and community and all these, you know, amazing values that are, that I love to. And I was going to take you and force feed you to um, that. And I was looking for schools that you could only do projects you had, to be successful. You had to do a group project and you hated every single minute you were there. <laughs> you hated that everyone got equal time on the basketball court. You hated that they got even bad players could be on the soccer field that drove you crazy. And so when you ultimately chose a high school, you chose the most <laughs> competitive, a brutal high school, you know, you went to university, which is not the most not known for their lovingness and all that kind of stuff. Uh, because who the competitive part of you, that self-confident part of you is just, it, it cannot be beaten out. <laughs> it is who you are. It is your essence. But I hope we've tempered it a little bit by putting you in a the Cameron House community and the Quaker community that we've uh, made you as you go out there in the world that uh, that there is value of collaboration. There is value of listening to others. Um, so I don't know. I'll have to ask you whether you <laughs> has been a part of steeped in because I did my best. I, you know, we paid buku dollars to uh, <laughs> make you as loving as possible. I had this realization during COVID actually while talking to Don. So the last episode that I realized that I'm not my best self when I'm highly competitive, as you described, right? It's something that comes very easily and naturally to me. This, this young side, right? This very fierce, competitive spirit. But if, you, um, if anyone out there is similar to me in, in, in that capacity, 
Um, you might also sometimes feel very imbalanced, very out of control, um, led by things like anger. It's like the dark side of the forest almost. <laughs> oh. Right. And what I realized is that things that I did like meditation, like Tai Chi, Qigong, or things like music or, you know, caring for another person or like collaboration, all of these things require a lot more yin energy, right? Mm. And if you can't, you can't be a whole person if you don't have both. And so I realized that that's why I was so drawn to music and why I actually had a pretty big aversion to things like track, to things like chess. Um, and I, I quit them out of kind of anger and of because I was very imbalanced and I couldn't hold all of that yang energy alone. Of course, I, I, I still have yang energy, but I think I'm a lot more balanced now than I, than I was. Um, thanks to music. Thanks to um, just building in healthier parts to my day. Going back to uh, yang part of like your Chinese doctor, cause you were a sprinter. You actually went to college um, to sprint. And he said you were having lots of health issues right? I, I can't remember being itchy and this and that, or uh, I can't remember all the different symptoms, but if you continue sprinting, you will shorten your life because it is all about, it's, and sprinting is different than cross country because it's like short, powerful bursts that it's going to deplete you. And so you, for you to quit track after your freshman year, was actually a commitment towards your long-term health. And so I think that was a turning point in some ways, you know, to go from this ultra competitive, physically demanding, fulfilling, right? Like, I mean, it, it, it feeds one part of you, but it also empties, it depletes a part of you. So mm -hmm. I'm glad that you've discovered um, a balanced approach to life and to discover it young. I mean, you're still young. Like some people don't discover that until their fifties and have cancer or something mm -hmm. like that, you know? So on that note, I think we should actually wrap it up. And I thought you're gonna have us sing a song together. <laughs> like, <laughs> <laughs> you should, you should do the Herman the Worm. <laughs> um, that, I think that well, that would be for another another podcast, another day. Um, but thank you, Mom, for coming on. You can follow her at Kimchi Mama, <laughs> and I'm sure that uh, if you already are friends with my Facebook on my mom, uh, you've probably seen all of the stuff that our family does and that she's actually basically an influencer herself. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, thanks for raising me. Thanks for coming on the podcast. And, and I'm very proud of you. And I'm proud that you're um, dedicating this first series of uh, your podcast to your mentors, because oftentimes people don't realize the impact they're having and to be, it's an honor for him to be engaged and be told when you're alive that you've made a difference. And so I'm so glad you have chosen to do this. And I know you're going to go on a next series, you know, focusing on other musicians, but I, um, I'm glad you're telling all your mentors uh, how much they mean to you. So. All right, mom. Thanks for coming on. Cheers. Cheers. <sighs> Good night. Okay. Thanks mama. Bye sweetie. All right. Bye. I'll see you tomorrow. I'll, I'll come home and grab some food. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Thanks for listening to this episode of Tea with My Uncle Iros. Catch us every Monday on your favorite podcasting service. TWMUI is written and produced by me. Definitely rate and review us on iTunes and follow me at Son of Paper on Instagram, Twitter, or Facebook. Theme music by Keys. For more, 
visit facebook.com slash unlockedkeys. Spill with y'all next time on Tea with my Uncle Iros.